Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Hello, Dan. Hey, Buzz. How are you doing this Thursday? Uh, Creating any trouble? Well, no. here's the trouble. Mm. My spouse and I went snowshoeing Mm -hmm. earlier, and because, let me see if I can get this right, we've got tons of snow, unlike here in the valley. We've got a lot, I'm going to say about 14 inches on the ground, but... The temperature never went below 28 degrees, so that snow is saturated with water. So our trees and branches are just breaking off horrifically, frighteningly so. So when we walked in the fields, we just looked at all the work that has to be done in the spring to clean all this up. It's, uh, it's quite beautiful and at the same time really disheartening that there's so much damage to trees. We have whole trees that fell down from the weight. So... And That's that, my story. I heard folks wanting to cross-country ski at Notchview um, couldn't because there were so many down limbs. They closed the trails, and they're trying to go in and clean that up. DAR and, is like that as well. Yeah. Yeah. And we talk a lot on the show on the difference between climate and weather, and not to confuse the two of them. But you know, one can't help but think with the weather that we've been having the last few years, I can't remember a snowstorm in the valley. It just, is, just seems very, very different. And, uh, and again, one can only... Um, think that it is climate-related. That's what we're going to talk about today, this anxiety over climate and this existential threat of climate change. There is so much to be anxious about. Um, And looking at it from an environmental perspective, the loss of biodiversity, extreme weather events, this whole uh, issue of the continued dominance of fossil fuels, just so much to be anxious about, which is why we brought in our guest today to help us deal with some of that eco-anxiety, we'll call it. Um, Karina Lutz, welcome to the program. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. Karina is a facilitator with the work that reconnects, an organization she will talk to us about. She is also, also the author of Preliminary Visions, uh, which is a book of poetry available at any independent bookstore. Stay away from Google, folks. Um, Amazon and Google. Now you can Google, just don't buy your books at Amazon. Uh, so again, welcome to the show, Karina. Let's talk about this eco-anxiety and what it is that you do in terms of facilitating groups to deal with that interesting issue. Yeah, well, I'll start just with what the eco-anxiety is, I think we've all been feeling it since, uh, you know, we can remember the first shopping mall that went up in our backyard and and our, you know, the suburb that popped up in our favorite field or it's it. And every piece of news over the years, we have some kind of response, but it has not been socially acceptable in general to talk about it, well, talking about grief is not big in this culture. Um, Talking about anger, well, it's better for men than women, apparently, according to some people. And it's also, you know, well, being sad, okay, maybe if you're a woman you can get away with it, but not if you're a man. I mean, we know this is all not true, but it is the culture's messages that basically... These are bad emotions. They're negative. And don't be negative because this is America where everything is great and fine. And that point of view, that way of looking at the world is sort of business as usual, right? Just let it go. This is how it is. You know, there's, you know, at least I got an iPhone out of the deal of the polluting of the um, lands where the, um, the, the, the materials were mined, okay? So... There's where a lot of us have been objecting to all of that for a long time, to environmental degradation, and some people have been activists about it. We still have this incredible load of emotional, um, you know, backlog of emotional processing to do. Um, and Joanna Macy, um, you know, my hero, the 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 author of the the and uh, the sort of root teacher, I think she calls herself, of the work that reconnects process um, for dealing with all these so-called negative emotions um, and for rejuvenating ourselves to to get back in the game of 
change, right? Social change, uh, activism, whether it's activism in the you know usual way or just making change by helping people think differently or um, by, uh, you know, stopping bad things from happening or creating new systems that work better for people, re- reclaiming old systems that work better for people. So the goal is not to eliminate anxiety. The goal is to use anxiety in a way that propels one towards activism. Absolutely. That's such a good way of putting it. And um, But it doesn't mean that you're going to be anxious the whole time you're doing it. It means that the, it's really about that the anxiety is trying to motivate us. It's we're afraid because there's something we love and it's at risk. We love this earth. We love the places we live. We love, you know, we love our home and the source of our food and our air and our water and, you know, our mama, some people call it. It's, we love it so much, but we take it so for granted and we're pushing these negative feelings back so we forget that we actually need to pay attention to that anxiety and figure out what to do about it, right? It's trying, you know, the anxiety, your mind going blah, 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 what do I do about this, is, is us trying to figure out what to do, right? But if we can do um, some exercises, which we do in the Work That Reconnects workshops, that help us get in touch with it but not be controlled by it. Not in be touch with the anxiety. The anxiety, the anger, the fear, the, um, the love, the, the gratitude, the, all of the feelings. So we start with gratitude in every, in every session that we do, and we move into honoring the pain for the world. So that really helps sort of prepare. It opens the heart. It settles our systems. We can be, you know, even though there is anxiety in the background, we can be sort of settled into this moment of, yes, here we are together. It's a group process. It's incredibly important for this to be a group process so that we can support each other and hold each other as we express the difficult feelings. So then so, that's what we so do So this next. is not individual therapy. You're not one-on-one with clients. You are actually in a group setting. Absolutely. What are some of those exercises that you can share with us that help propel one forward? Yeah, absolutely. Easy to say. The, the first um, and simplest one is just open sentences. So we'll sit in a group and we'll start a sentence with fill in the blank. So one of them for gratitude might be, um, when I think about um, this living on Earth, I am most happy about blah blah blah. Or when I, that's not exactly <laughs> the the classic way to put it. It's more like I'm when I what I appreciate most about living on Earth right now is. And you just see what um, see what comes out, and it, the group will share all kinds of wonderful things. It will just be really freeing, and uh, you know, in terms of yeah, I really do care. And then what? So once once gratitude is out there, and mm-hmm. folks are expressing those deep emotions of connection mm-hmm. and love, mm-hmm. and um, you know, for the earth or yeah. or whatever. Then what? How how do you move folks forward from gratitude to action? Yeah, yeah. Um, the The next step is often the the leader or someone in the group will say something like, "I really appreciate being in this room with all these incredible people right now who are so dedicated to this that they're willing to spend their Saturday, you know, doing this hard work." And it's not all hard, but you know, it's not for everybody. And there, you know, if you haven't gotten to the point where you re- recognize that emotions have a purpose and they're here, um, and that I need to, I I'm, I feel something stuck, and I want help with this. I want to work it through. 
Um, I want to find my motivation again, for example. You know, the helplessness is just one of the most debilitating things. And so so we'll move from, from the gratitude, you know, naturally to, you know, I'm grateful for the, the few, uh, you know, I finally saw a Baltimore Oriole this year. You know, we used to see them all the time, but I finally saw one. And I'm so grateful for that one. And so that also touches onto that grief, right? Because there's, wow, how did it take so long to see one this year? You know, what if, what if it was the year that they didn't come back? So from gratitude to grief to what next? So we'll, we'll, we'll do exercises with the grief that are gen- generally more ritualistic. Um, so sometimes we'll sit, it's all done in a circle. Um, but uh, we'll do semi, maybe concentric circles where we turn um, the inner circle, we'll turn and face the outer circle, and you'll have a one-on-one, but then maybe you'll shift one seat over in one of the circle. The, one of the circles will shift one seat over, so then you're talking to a different person and answer a, a series of questions that leads us into the, into the depth of the, the feeling. And then we move into seeing with new eyes or ancient eyes, which is really kind of uh, also can be, there's a segue there that might happen where you start to talk about the ancestors or the future beings. You know, are, are we going to have descendants? Are we somebody's ancestors? Whose ancestors might we be? And it's a lot of imaginative, beautifully imaginative stuff. I think of really unsung part of the need of um, social change movements in general. It's not just environmental, um, and and we don't just touch on environmental issues because everything's connected. Um, this um, touching into that beautiful, um, hard, difficult stuff will, will, will help us, like, you know... Um, you know what? I'm going to just shift and say the the number one thing is you 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 cry and your eyes are washed clean. You cry and you you finally feel the relief. You know, if it's you get a really good sob, you know, you can get there. You know, and not all of us know that about feelings. You know, like because some of us don't cry because we've been so trained not to. We are talking this afternoon with. Karina Letts. Karina is a facilitator with the work that reconnects. She works with groups on coming to terms with anxiety issues and motivating folks from deep anxiety into activism. She's also the author of the uh, poetry book, Preliminary Visions, available at independent bookstores. Stick with us, and we will be right back. It's recommended you dress them scantily to accentuate their volume and complement their flavor profile. Atlas Farms Wintergreen Salad Mix. Five unique greens in a harmonious blend that tastes like this time of year. Decorate your salad with a colorful confetti of watermelon radish or purple daikon. Add crumbled goat cheese or roasted pumpkin seeds. Summer salads are nice, but winter salads are entirely unto themselves. Get a bag of winter salad mix at the Atlas Farm Store in South Deerfield. Come on over to the co-op. Hi, I'm Jay Sealer, Vice President, Commercial Lending at Greenfield Cooperative Bank and its Northampton Co-op Bank Division. Our team of commercial lenders are here to help you and your business grow this year. I'm Laura Guzik, Vice President, Commercial Lending. We're a small business administration preferred lender, and all of our lenders at the co-op have individual lending authority, which means fast local decisions so you can get back to business. I'm Adam Baker, Vice President of Commercial Lending. Are you ready to chat with one of our experienced local lenders? Visit bestlocalbank.com 
or meet with us in person at any of our Franklin or Hampshire County locations. Or if it's more convenient, we'll even meet you at your business. So come on over to the co-op and see me, Jay Sealer. Or me, Maura Guzik. Or me, Adam Baker. Greenfield Cooperative Bank is an equal housing lender, member FDIC, member DIF. You can count on your friends at the co-op. In a settlement with the Federal Trade Commission, Credit Karma has agreed to pay $3 million to settle charges it misled consumers, telling them they were pre-approved for certain credit cards. The company denied the charges but agreed to settle to close the case. Amazon is expanding its push into health care. The online retailer has announced that RX Pass, a prime membership benefit that offers consumers affordable generic medications that treat more than 80 common health conditions, is now available in most U.S. states. How many subscriptions do you have? Forbes advisors surveyed over 1,000 U.S. adults across the country about their digital subscriptions. It found consumers were least likely to cancel entertainment subscriptions like Netflix and Hulu and most likely to cancel health-related subscriptions. I'm Mark Huffman. Learn more at ConsumerAffairs.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. We're talking this afternoon with Karina Lutz. Karina is a facilitator with the group The Work That Reconnects. She's also the author of a book of poetry called Preliminary Visions. And The Work That Reconnects helps people make these connections between the anxiety they may be feeling not just about ecological issues, but about all sorts of social issues and trying to transform that anxiety, that paralysis that anxiety can, can bring with us into action, into activism, into creative change. Um, and let's get right into that, Karina. So how does one move or what's that, that final step? of getting into activism. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, there's some wonderful um, workshop exercises that really help. Um, once we've started really opening up the imagination and thinking about the future and the past, but also thinking about, you know, there's a, the whole, that's the deep time work. There's a whole other, other pieces of systems theory and, um, interconnectedness, and ecological thinking. That's where we go into the deep ecology. Once you've got that sort of imagination woken up, and then you really can start to imagine, what, I, what, what can I do? And um, some, one of the exercises, for example, it just, you pretend that, you know, people will do sort of a role play Pretend that one is is the ancestor, one is the descendant, and one is um, the doubt. You know, the doubt, the the person, the naysayer, and um, you just come up with an idea. Like, just okay, it doesn't. You're not committing. This is just brainstorming. So, what 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 would the ancestor say to you about this? And then what would the descendant say to you if you are successful? And, and what are some of those ideas that in terms of the workshops? That... Whatever people come up with from them, them, themselves. Uh -huh. Yeah, so we have a few moments of meditation where you can you tune in a little bit and listen to. And sometimes it's what people are already working on. So mm -hmm. we, get, we often, we do attract activists who are, at, at the verge of burnout, or you know, how I discovered it was I already was burned out, and I heard about it, and I signed right up, and it really helped. So, but I had projects. Are these the right projects? Am I going the right direction with these projects? And people will come up with everything from setting up, um, uh, you know, growing a food forest to, um, you know, handing out. Uh, soup and a soup kitchen you know it's there, there's it's not there, the level of commitment is really up to the individual and it's really about the individual finding their path to the healing their part of the healing of the world and once you're in this group uh, with so many people with these all these great ideas you do send, have this sense of i don't have to do it all myself mm -hmm. right this isn't all up to me i've got a movement behind me and i'm 
part of, I can be part of that movement if you're not already. And that's that can be extremely um enlivening. Liberating. You know, liberating, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. You know, it's it strikes me in this conversation that um, so many people aren't eco-anxious enough. And and correct me if I'm wrong, but the workshops I imagine you're doing are with the preaching to the converted, which is great. The converted need preaching too, particularly if they're burnt out or on mm-hmm. the verge of burnt out or looking for direction. Yeah. But there are so many folks out there who aren't anxious. Who yeah. don't, this isn't even in their radar. Let's talk about climate change in particular. Maybe they... You know, they don't, they don't think about it, they don't address it, or they're active climate deniers. Yes. Is there a way to incorporate the work that you do mm-hmm. to, I think you called them the naysayers? Um, Absolutely. And, and it, how, how would that yeah. work? Yeah, yeah. Grief, remember Kubler-Ross and the stages of grief? Denial's the first one. Those people are not not feeling grief. They, they, you know, and they may not be feeling anxiety, but they also may have other explanations for it. Why the weather's different or the, you know, the climate is different or, you know, they may think, well, it's the end of the world anyway. I'm just going to give up. That's a kind of denial, right? A denial that there's hope and that there's things I could do and that there's a place for me in the healing of the world. And, um... I think that's that's a big, big piece of it. But what about those people who think it's just a weather cycle? That's all. Oh, yeah. We don't we don't have snow here in Northampton in January. It's just a weather cycle. How do we bring those people aboard? Yeah, I think the question is really hope. Um, are are we are some of us in denial, or are all of us in a little bit in denial just to get through the day? Right. Um, I was really shocked to find myself in denial when um, the Makanda well blew up. And I has, had been working on sustainable energy issues for decades already, and I had forgotten about oil spills. I was so focused on climate change that – and all of a sudden it's like, holy, whoa, I wasn't even thinking about that. It just really whacked me. And I, and I think – I realized I'm actually secretly hoping that the climate deniers are right because I really want a healthy planet. Um, let's talk about uh, your personal transformation mm-hmm. here. You said you were not just on the verge of burnt out, but burnt out. Yeah. What led you back to this group, the work that reconnects, not just to become an activist, but to become a facilitator yeah. for those who were in similar places? Um, that's a good question. I, I really haven't thought about it very much. It, I think it was a lo- it was in some ways it was a, a gradual process of coming back to life, which is the name of Joanna Macy's book that show that has the original um, list of, of practices of how to do the work that reconnects. And the work that reconnects um, just the term, is the process, the workshops, um, the deep ecology work. But and there is a work that reconnects network that I'm part of, and that's the network of facilitators, just to clarify that. But where were we? How did you get... How did I how, get... How did you uh, get involved after this? Yeah, I found myself so transformed by, the, by, the, by going through the process and, and doing it again that I, I got excited about in one of the spheres of change that she talks about. She being jo- Joanna, she, Macy. Joanna Macy talks about, right, which is cha- shifting the paradigm, good old shifting the paradigm, right? How, changing the way we think about even how we approach activism. Well, I was angry, but I was taking it out on you know, in within the movement, not functional, really. So, Karina Lutz, if people are interested in your uh, eco group groups, mm-hmm. um, how do they get in touch with you? Well, I do have a website, Karina Lutz, K A R I N A L U T Z, um, uh, and I'm one of the very few on Google, <laughs> but Karina Lutz dot WordPress dot com. 
And that has my poetry links, but it also has information about upcoming workshops. And the next workshop is actually Saturday. Um, So 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 people are listening to this after uh, today, Thursday, the 24th. Seventh, seventh, something like that. Yeah. Um, and there's also the the uh, the work that reconnects website as well, which has a wealth of information and talks a lot about Joanna Macy and her great work and deep ecology and eco action and all of that stuff. We've been talking with Karina Lutz. Karina is a facilitator with the organization, the work that reconnects. You can uh, Google her uh, and find out more, both on her website as well as the work that reconnects. Karina, thank you so much for being this afternoon. Good luck with your workshop on Saturday, and we wish you all the well and and that transforming folks from uh, paralysis and over-anxiety into activists, uh, which is admirable work. So stick with us. We'll be right back with... We'll be right back with Ruth Griggs in our Take 5 segment. She has Dave Sporny, who uh, he is the leader of the Amherst Jazz Orchestra, And he's going to be talking about that right after these messages. Stay with us. And thank you, Karina. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Firefighters from nine different departments worked this morning to put out a fire at a commercial garage in Colerain. The call for the fire on Main Road, Route 112, came in around 3.15 a.m. The chief said there were many flammable materials inside, so the fire spread very quickly and the building soon became engulfed in flames. No one was injured in the fire, though the building is considered a complete loss. Investigators are looking into the cause of the fire. A pickleball facility could be coming to Hatfield. The select board agreed to forward a rezoning request to the planning board for the facility at 121 West Street. About two acres of the 31-acre site would be for the four-season pickleball facility with both indoor and outdoor components and possible exterior lighting for a court as well as parking. A public hearing on the proposal is tentatively scheduled for March 1st. If all goes well, the matter will come before voters at annual town meeting in May. And a new plan is in the works for the Greenfield Police Department after Chief Haig announced the third shift would be ending at last week's meeting. The new plan, which was unveiled at last night's city council meeting, has coverage on all three shifts until March 1st when a new schedule will begin with officers working two 10-hour shifts and no patrol from 3 a.m. to 7 a.m. During that time, Chief Haig said he will call in officers if there is an emergency. Otherwise, state police would be handling calls. Greenfield officers would receive $300 per week for the inconvenience of the longer shifts. The plan will be in place until June 30th. Sunny this afternoon, chance for a scattered sprinkle or flurry mainly west of the Connecticut River. Temperatures dropping back into the 30s this afternoon. Scattered clouds tonight, overnight low of 20 to 26. Mostly sunny tomorrow, 34 to 38, and a sun cloud mix on Saturday. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 1015 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with the Weather Channel and SnowCountry.com. Tempur-Pedic adapts to your body's needs to help you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer, so ditch the eye masks. Head to Ashley and find your perfect Tempur-Pedic. Well, when it's all said and done, our second storm this week will net many mountains several inches of fresh snow for the groomers to blend into the bases and keep our stretch of excellent conditions going toward the weekend. Colder days and nights ahead mean snowmakers will be in on the act too, freshening up the trails for great mid-season weekend ahead. Berkshire East picking up a little bit of new snow, so did Ski Butternut. Catamount over two dozen trails now and three quarters of the runs open at Wachusett with action till 9.30. They got a half a foot thus far. Stratton skiing 90 percent of their trails almost 40 runs for burke with a couple of inches of new ski and ride like a beast at vermont's biggest icon pass destination this winter killington resort is home to the longest season in the east and the all-new k1 lodge plan a visit today at killington.com check out more at snowcountry.com i'm jason dean i'm bill newman and i'm buzz eisenberg and we want you to know about our new two-hour show talk the talk where we will indeed talk the talk with authors activists and experts and politicians musicians and artists and filmmakers reverends and rabbis and scientists lawyers and doctors and some funny people too wait we have funny people too talk the talk with bill newman and buzz eisenberg weekday mornings from 9 to 11 and again at 4 starting next Monday on WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. 
Are you organized, detail-oriented, responsible, fun-loving, and a team player? The Northampton Radio Group is looking for you. We've currently got an opening for a part-time office assistant. The job is right out front, so you have to like people. A knowledge of Microsoft Office is essential, and a sense of humor is a must. Send your resume and cover letter to Office Position, Northampton Radio Group, 15 Hampton Avenue, Northampton, Mass., 01060, or email jobs at whmp.com. Saga Communications is an equal opportunity employer. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And this is always a segment that I always enjoy. It's a Take 5 segment with Ruth Griggs and a very special guest today, Dave Sporney, the leader of the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. Hello, Ruth. Not hello, Buzz. How are you this afternoon? <laughs> Good. What was that? Not. You were I'm really, to... I'm really excited to have Dave here. I, um, we were chatting a little bit before we opened, and uh, I really think that uh, the listeners um, today and the WHMP listener needs to know about Dave Sporney and the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. So all ears. We're all ears. That's what we're talking about today. Welcome, Dave. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> so. When I was doing a little bit of research, I was bowled over by Dave's credentials. Um, arranger, educator, clinician, composer, um, conductor, and the founder of the Amherst Jazz Orchestra in, I believe, 1997? Somewhere in there? 9697. 96, and, uh, you know... He's he's a humble guy, but you've done an awful lot. I mean, the number of recordings that you've had, the fact that you play both classical and jazz trombone, that was a really cool new thing for me to understand. So let's start with a little bit about the humble Dave Sporney, because I really want to, I want people to understand who who's who's talking to us today. Hmm, what can I say? Um, well, the whole thing started, um, I grew up in uh, just outside of Pittsburgh in, in a musical family, and uh, my father played trombone, so my first musical hero was Tommy Dorsey, and uh, the house was always filled with Tommy Dorsey big band music, and when I was in about seventh grade, um, there was an amusement park near where we lived, and every Thursday in the summer they had a name band come. So my dad, in his infinite wisdom, uh, took me to hear different bands. I mean, I heard um, Sammy Kay, I heard uh, uh, Buddy Morrow, and about the fourth band was Stan Kenton. Hmm. And Stan Kenton played this piece called Peanut Vendor, and there was a trumpet chord that literally burned into my brain and changed my life. And I decided at that point I wanted to discover and explore this music, and I became obsessed with big bands. So um, when I was in 10th grade, I started my own 13-piece big band that had nothing to do with the school or anything, just a bunch of kids that really enjoyed the, that 13 kind of 13 musicians <laughs> in 10th grade? Yeah. That's a lot of musicians to scrounge up. Yeah, so that's when the whole sort of leader thing started, because I had to you know, sort of scold my peers because they weren't as invested as I was in the music. So I, I was where do 13 kids rehearse? Well, we rehearsed at the community center in my hometown. We found a room and they allowed us to uh, come in. And uh, then when I uh, was able to start driving, I had to go around and pick up kids and so forth. You know. So anyway, uh, fast forward, I, I went off to college and while I was in college, I play. I went to the University of Illinois, and at that point, uh, they had one of the best college bands in the country, and uh, we were winning all kinds of things and got to play at the Newport Jazz Festival and so forth. So I was always involved with the big band thing, and I eventually led the second band at the university. And then when I was 23 years old, I got a job at the Interlochen Arts Academy in Michigan, and some of the kids there had heard about my background and asked me, would I start a band at the school? Because there was jazz was a four-letter word at Interlochen. It was a no-no. So we started sort of this uh, organization. We couldn't call it a jazz band, as I said, so we called it a studio orchestra because the, <laughs> st the studio players were the best and most versatile players uh, in the country and the world. 
Anyway, I ended up starting a jazz program at Interlochen and having this band, which became quite well known. And in my time there, uh, uh, this is a very famous arts boarding school, and a lot of really now famous musicians were my students there. And so again, it's the big band thing. I came then in uh, 1982 to UMass, and they had this second little fledgling jazz ensemble there, and, and I wanted to be involved, so Dr. Tillis said, would you do that? So again, I took over that band. Fast forward to 96, there was kind of a need for a large ensemble in the area, and a lot of the guys that had been playing in bands in the area uh, said, we know you have a massive um, library of big band music, would you start something? And that was the beginning of, of the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. And as we had mentioned out there, I could have called it the Dave Sporny Big Band, but I wanted it to be more like the guys would feel it was their band rather than my band, you know, instead of like the name of the school on the front of your jersey rather than your name on the back. And, That's the uh, humble reference that you <laughs> That's made. why I well, started that way. <laughs> but, you know, and uh, uh, so that's how the Amherst Jazz Orchestra started. And yeah. uh, we could talk about philosophy so and cool. so forth later. But I'm sorry, that's a long big, version. Big band, like in every, in every pore of your body, every bone of your yeah. body. That's incredible, yeah. Dave. That's I really... haven't parked my car in the garage for years because it's full of big band music boxes. So <laughs> I have so much music, I can't fit my car have in the garage. Have you done a lot of the arrangements for the AJO? Uh, yeah, I'm, yeah. More and more. During COVID, I did 27 arrangements for the band, 13 for the singer and 14 for the band. So that's what's keeping my brain alive is uh, writing now. (laughs) That's fantastic. Who are some of your favorite composers, though, for the big band? Well, um, you know, I always like to refer back to the classic guys, but the more contemporary composers, probably uh, Bob Brookmeyer is a very favorite of mine. Um, Maria Schneider, who uh, is sort of like winning everything these days uh, with her writing. And, and just even um, I go around and hear a lot of college groups, and it's astounding what the kids are writing now, what, mm-hmm. what they're doing with that particular idiom. I, I say to my wife— Idiom of— A big band. You know, five saxes, four trumpets, four trombones. That's the same configuration that Glenn Miller had for In the Mood. And then when you hear what these kids are writing for that same configuration now with the college bands, it's astounding. What makes it astounding? It's so creative and so inventive. And um, so much of those swing tunes were formulas. You know what I mean? The riffs that kept repeating to create excitement in the crowd. Now the kids are writing these 23-minute suites and so forth. The composition, it's just amazing. It's amazing what they're doing with the same 12 notes that Duke Ellington had, you know, so. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So the Amherst Jazz Orchestra is about 17 players at this point? 17 and a vocalist, yes. And and how many, what what are the types of instruments that are in, like what, what, Let's talk about the AJO for a yeah, little bit. Sure. Let's talk about what, what that band is and where you play, when you play. Sure. Well, we, it's pretty much traditional instrumentation. We have five saxophones. We have five trumpets. A lot of bands have four trumpets. I like to have five because then the guys get a little rest. We can uh, spread it around a little bit. Four trombones, and uh, we have guitar, bass, and drums. Now, the reason for the guitar we first started playing, you, won't, you may not remember this, there was a little place in the basement over here in Northampton called Fire and Water. It was down on, you remember that? I do. Okay, and it was so small we couldn't fit a piano in there, so we used the guitar. guitar. <laughs> then we moved across the river, and the uh, Amherst Brewing Company, when it was downtown across from Antonio's, there that little place. Right below where the Drake is now. Exactly, exactly. That's where we started, and we played um, twice a month there until they closed and moved to the new new venue. So for 18 years, we played at uh, Amherst Brewing Company. And uh, when the Amherst Brewing Company got taken over by the hangar, we now are on this side of the river, and we play the third Monday of every month at Union Station. 
and uh, which is right right up the hill from where we are right now. Exactly. So very very wonderful parking, easily accessible. They serve uh, good food. Yes. They have a nice menu now, and of course a bar, and you can sit back and enjoy the big band sounds of the right. Amherst Jazz Orchestra. It's it's remarkable, really, and and so it's been going on now for going on. 30 years. Uh, I think, it, what is it, about 26 or 27? 26 or 27. Yeah. I think yeah. we're, I, always, we, I say we're the best kept secret in the area because uh, <laughs> we've been chugging along for Well, not quite anymore. A while. You're on WHMP Radio, uh, Take Five. You're not a secret anymore, okay. Dave. Okay. <laughs> and, and we have a, a, another minute or so before the break. Um, talk a, a little bit about the vocalists. I, I you know, I'm a jazz vocalist, uh, no. and I would think it would be so challenging to sing with the big band. I would be so intimidated. What's well, that all about? Well, uh, Ethel, um, I didn't really know about Ethel. Ethel, Ethel Lee. Lee. Ethel Lee, who's like an institution in Springfield. Uh, I think she's uh, been singing now for 25 years at Uno's in the summertime. Someone brought her to my attention, one of the guys in the band, and said, boy, you know, we should give her a chance. So I, I wasn't always in favor of having a vocalist with a band. I thought that's going to take away from the instrumentalists, you know. But um, so I went to hear her sing, and she's got her own thing going, and she's actually got her own following. And uh, so I invited her to sing with the band. Now, the secret is she doesn't read music. I thought, what? How are we going to do this? She had no arrangements. She had never sung with a big band before. So we got together, and what I decided was this is how we're going to do it. I'll write the arrangements. I'll make a recording from the computer, give them to her. She can learn them by ear, and that was our deal. So I would write three or four charts. We would meet in Springfield and go over it, and, and that's how it happened. And um, she's sort of my secret weapon because she has a, a, a little bit of a following that comes from Springfield to hear her uh, when, we're in, uh, when we're here in Northampton. But... She's got such a great personality and a wonderful style, and, mm -hmm. um, you know, the guys love her, and, and so it was great for me because I ended up having to write all the arrangements for her, and uh, now she has a book, I mean, uh, you know, of, of uh, we have some published charts, but I've probably written about 40 arrangements for her now, wow. so... And, and it is a thrill, she says, to sing with a big man, as you might imagine. Well, sounds like I'm going to have to have Ethel Lee as my guest coming up pretty soon. So I think we're going to take a break right now, but we're talking to Dave Sporney, and he's telling us all about the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. Don't go away. You want to hear more about this. The last radio show? Well, sort of. We'll talk the talk. That's the title of our new two-hour show with my co-host Buzz Eisenberg beginning Monday. Plus, State Representative Mindy Dom, Your State You with MTA President Max Page and Artbeat. All this beginning Friday at 9 o'clock. Get in on the conversation. Bill Newman. Weekdays at 9. And again at 5. WHMP. News, information, and the arts. Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday Bread Euphoria? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. At the Northampton Williamsburg line, there's something in the air. That sourdough crust pizza, those croissants. Smell that bread, the baguettes, that New York rye. It's euphoria, bread euphoria, bakery and cafe. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. I'm not sure if opposites attract, but most couples differ greatly in their views about household finances. I'm Frances Rayum, the money doctor, with Hug Your Money. Money is a very volatile topic, and most seem to either argue about it or rarely discuss it. A sort of division of labor emerges, one partner becoming the steward of household finances, the other less directly involved. This arrangement may work until a stressor is introduced, college expenses, budgeting issues, impending retirement, etc. 
That's when sparks can fly. Each person's perspective is quite different, and it's likely only a short-term solution if any will arise. The Hug Plan presents an easy-to-follow, long-term solution that helps get both partners on the same page, alleviating stress and inspiring them to manage their finances successfully. I'm Francis Ray, I'm the Money Doctor. We now offer advanced tools and financial coaching using our patented system, all under one umbrella. For more information and to schedule your free consultation, visit our website at hugyourmoney.com. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. I am having the best time here with Ruth Griggs on our Take 5 segment. And just listening to Dave Sporny just talk about how he came to the point where the Amherst Jazz Orchestra became the Amherst Jazz Orchestra. So, Well, we, we, when we uh, left for break, we were talking a little bit about Ethel Lee, who is a very well-known vocalist in... You know Hampshire County for and, and Hamden County in Springfield and um, and when I was asking as a jazz vocalist myself like what's it like to sing with a big huge band behind you Dave is explaining that he he creates charts he he creates the music for her on tape because she doesn't read music which is something that we do in Valley Jazz Voices a lot right. because it's a community choir we tape the songs, we have the, the different parts, you know, pulled out so that you can just listen to it. And it's amazing how much that, that can enable someone to yeah. actually sing. But it sounds like the collaboration, Dave, that you have with Ethel is just perfect for both of you because you love to arrange, it sounds like, and, and having that ongoing collaboration with a, a vocalist, uh, it sounds like it's quite satisfying. But again, like... Is there anything in particular that you do with those arrangements that make it easier, frankly, and less intimidating for her to sing with a big band? That's, well, well yeah. as we were uh, talking um, um, during the break, I don't just pick random tunes. I, I go and listen to her when she sings with her small group and then ask her, would you like to do this one with the big band? And I, and I hear what style she sings, what kind of rhythm she likes I mentioned uh, one of the tunes that I would imagine as a sort of a ballad, and she does it as a Latin tune. So I would not think of doing it as a, a, a way that she isn't familiar or comfortable with, you know. So um, she just kind of feeds me. She, gives, <laughs> she gave me this whole stack of, you know, about 10 pages, single spaced of tunes that she does in her keys. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so I just kind of start going through and clicking off different tunes and uh, make sure that there's enough variety. We do ballads, we do swing, we do blues, we do Latin and things like that for her. But Dave, you, know? you are, your skills are elastic enough that, oh, she does it like, Latin, and then you're going to write it for all the 17 pieces yeah. in the Amherst Jazz Orchestra, yeah. and your mind isn't going to like explode. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it after a while, some of that it's sort of like secretarial work, you know what I mean? You just get used to doing it, and uh, you know, some people go, What exactly is arranging? Well, they don't understand that every person in that band is assigned a different note and that's my job to make sure that you know there's backgrounds for her and and uh, we discuss the forms you know like uh, she's going to sing you know what a bridge of a, a yeah. melody is so are we going to come back in the bridge are we going to start the tune over again or things like that so it is it is really she's very easy to work with um i try to make her as comfortable as possible cuz i know sometimes she's a nervous wreck she's She's still intimidated a little bit about, you know, being in front of the guys, so to speak. And um, <laughs> this uh, is what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. But but, uh, you know, and every once in a while there's a slip up and the guys are very, very comfortable. She may not come in. So they wait for her and then we jump back into <laughs> and it's nothing about her. It's just that, you know. It's that things. collaboration when you're in a musical environment. You you have to have every everybody has to have each other's back, right, exactly. or the whole thing like falls apart and doesn't get picked back up again. But you know we're we're talking about a certain culture and an approach that 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 you that you know you've been talking about that you take with Ethel Lee. How does that extend to the mission of of the AJO? Like like what is it that you're trying to do with the AJO? Well. <clears throat> 
my concept of the AJO as opposed to when you think of a big band, you think of Glenn Miller, you think of dancing, and you think of that, that swing era thing. The, the mission of big bands has changed a little bit. Most big band leaders now start a band because they're composers and they want to hear their own music. Nobody else is, you know, like Glenn Miller said, nobody came up to my office and said, start a band. I started it because I had a need. So that's the same thing. Um, my concept of the band was as a concert group, not necessarily a dance group. All of us played with a lot of swing bands back in those days. And I wanted a group that featured the players in the band. The, every tune that we play has an improvised solo by someone. So the mission of the band is to continue this art form of jazz, which is primarily improvisation, but in the big band style. And, uh, you know, people ask me to describe the band, and I say, it's a contemporary big band. They say, what do you mean by that? And I say, well, we'll play um, Take the A-Train, but we're going to play our version of Take the A-Train. We're not going to play a transcription of Duke's uh, um, Take the A-Train. Now, a typical format for an evening for us is we will start off with a tune that's not too hard that the guys feel comfortable playing. The second tune will probably be something a little bit more calm by probably the audience doesn't know the composer. Then we will do a piece that's sort of compositional. Then we will do a Count Basie tune. So we are looking backwards and forwards all the time. Um, I'm not against playing, uh, you know, a transcription of an Ellington piece, but there are bands that do that. That's their whole thrust. My band is about the guys and soloing. I mean, every person, I'm very proud to say this, every person in the AJO solos, and, and not many people can say that. So that's the thrust of the band. That's beautiful. So we're, we're wrapping up a wonderful conversation with Dave Sporney, who founded the Amherst Jazz Orchestra and, and is, is still the musical director. And if you want to um, read more about him and more about all the players, it's a wonderful website, AmherstJazzOrchestra.com. Very, very simple, AmherstJazzOrchestra.com. And again, they play every third Monday at 7.30 p.m., at the Union Station, right here in Northampton, at on Pleasant Street, you go up, you go up the hill, and you can park up there. It's a beautiful, big, open space. Excellent food, um, you know, uh, beverages of all kinds. Uh, big, huge round tables, so you can bring bring your family. And yeah, if you want to dance, you can definitely dance. I mean, it's not like it's prohibited by you know, any we're, means. We're <laughs> actually we're actually toying with the idea of one of the nights of doing a dance. Oh, that's a good idea. a lot yeah. of people say, can we dance? Can we dance? And there is a dance floor, but we set up on the dance floor. So we were thinking about moving over and advertising. And there are swing dance clubs in the area. There's big swing dance clubs and right. Lindy dance clubs. And I think that's a great idea for 2023. So again, thank you, Dave Sporney. And, uh, Amherst Jazz Orchestra. Look them up. Follow yeah. them. Come and hear them. Dave, you are an incredibly inspirational, talented person. Ruth... <laughs> As always, you just make my week when you bring in your guests. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you for joining us on Take 5 today. We'll be talking to you tomorrow. The last show on the afternoon buzz, which is migrating to the morning show with Bill Newman. It'll be called Talk to Talk. It'll be on from 9 to 11 every morning. And we'll be talking with you tomorrow on our last show. Have a great evening. Buzz Eisenberg, 1015 WHMP. Sunday mornings on WHMP means polka, polka carousel. Every Sunday morning from 8 till noon, TZ brings his award-winning polka carousel to the Valley since 1950. WHMP Northampton, WHMQ Greenfield, Northampton Radio Group Station.